Today's reading comes from the first book of Corinthians, chapter 3, beginning at verse 1. Brothers and sisters, I could not address you as people who live by the Spirit, but as people who are still worldly, mere infants in Christ. I gave you milk, not solid food, for you were not yet ready for it. Indeed, you are still not ready. You are still worldly. For since there is jealousy and quarrelling among you, are you not worldly? Are you not acting like mere humans? For when one says, I follow Paul, and another, I follow Apollos, are you not mere human beings? What, after all, is Apollos, and what is Paul? Only servants, through whom you came to believe, as the Lord has assigned to each his task. I planted the seed, Apollos watered it, but God has been making it grow. So neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything, but only God who makes things grow. The one who plants and the one who waters have one purpose, and they will each be rewarded according to their own labour. For we are co-workers in God's service. You are God's field, God's building. By the grace God has given me, I laid a foundation as a wise builder, and someone else is building on it. But each one should build with care. For no one can lay any foundation other than the one already laid, which is Jesus Christ. If anyone builds on this foundation using gold, silver, costly stones, wood, hay or straw, their work will be shown for what it is, because the day will bring it to light. It will be revealed with fire, and the fire will test the quality of each person's work. If what has been built survives, the builder will receive a reward. If it is burned up, the builder will suffer loss, yet will be saved, even though only as one escaping through the flames. Don't you know that you yourselves are God's temple, and that God's spirit dwells in your midst? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy that person. For God's temple is sacred, and you together are that temple. Do not deceive yourselves. If any of you think you are wise by the standards of this age, you should become fools, so that you may become wise. For the wisdom of this world is foolishness in God's sight. As it is written, he catches the wise in their craftiness. And again, the Lord knows that the thoughts of the wise are futile. So then, no more boasting about human leaders. All things are yours, whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas or the world or life or death or the present or the future, all are yours. And you are of Christ and Christ is of God. Thanks for reading, Simon. I thought I'd ask you this morning, have you got green thumbs or not? Are you a gardener? The gardening know-how website on the internet says when it comes to indoor plants, the peace lily is one of the easiest plants to grow. I want to show you mine. Here it is. That is a peace lily. I'm going to leave it there for you just to see. It once looked spectacular. It once looked a bit like the photo on the screen that you see coming up now. It had bright white flowers and it had green foliage, and yet today it looks like this. And no matter what I've done for this, more water, less water, repotting, fertilizer, you name it, it doesn't seem to make a difference. And I tell you this really because on the whole, Meredith and I are where, where I, actually it's not true, Meredith is a pretty good gardener. On the whole, Meredith is a pretty good gardener. And most things she plants grow well most things but this pot plant reminds me even in our household not to take that for granted and i think we know this don't we generally but 
The truth of the matter is that as humans, we can plant seed, we can water the seeds that we plant, we can tend to them, we can add fertilizer, we can add all the modern supplements that might be around. But one thing always remains true, doesn't it? Only God actually makes plants grow. Now, I want to suggest to you the same is true of the church. Only God can grow his church. Sure, we have a part to play in the growth of his church, planting, watering, fertilizing, those sorts of things. But only God can grow his church. And then I think it's kind of the big idea in the passage that we're looking at today. God is the one who grows his church. God is the one who is sovereign and in control. As an act of grace, God gives to the church leaders and helpers. But their importance in the church, that their role in actually making the church grow, well, well, that's kind of inconsequential when compared to the mighty work of our God. And so, says Paul in this passage, don't boast about church leaders. Don't put people up on pedestals. Because God is the one who does the growing, and therefore God is the one who deserves the glory. I think in a nutshell, that's what chapter 3 of 1 Corinthians is about. If you've got your Bibles open, I'd love you to encourage you to open back to that passage that Simon just read to us. In 1 Corinthians chapter 3, Paul is returning to one of the big problems that's facing the Corinthian church. That's factionalism. People within the church are dividing themselves and aligning themselves behind particular leaders in the church. Some are aligning themselves behind Paul, the author of this letter that we're just reading. Others are aligning themselves behind Apollos, a great preacher and teacher. And these groups, these factions are quarreling with each other. And it must have been a big deal in the Corinthian church because Paul's already addressed this once in this letter already, back in chapter 1, and now he returns to it here in chapter 3. Let me just read to you again the first few verses of this chapter. Brothers and sisters, I could not address you as people who live by the Spirit, but as people who are still worldly, mere infants in Christ. I gave you milk, not solid food, for, for you are not yet ready for it. Indeed, you are still not ready. You are still worldly. For since there is jealousy and quarreling among you, are you not worldly? Are you not acting like mere humans? For when one says, I follow Paul, another, I follow Apollos, are you not mere human beings? Now, for us reading this letter in Australia in 2023, we might miss the fact that the Corinthians, I think, saw themselves as a super spiritual church. Super spiritual. We kind of get the gist of that because later in this letter, Paul's going to go on to address spiritual gifting a lot. And so here in chapter 3, there's a stinging rebuke. Paul says to this church, I could not address you as people who live by the Spirit. And I wonder how that phrase sits with you. If you've been uh, with us for a few weeks now, as we've been working our way through 1 Corinthians, how does that phrase sit with you? For me, it's a little bit clunky in a way. And the reason for that is, remember back in chapter 1, Paul, Paul called this church, he called them holy and sanctified. And back in chapter 2, Paul divided up, in, divided up the world into those who have the Spirit and those who don't. Again, the big division with the Spirit and without. And he seemed to include the Corinthian church as those who have the Spirit. And yet here Paul addresses the church as people who are not living by the Spirit. And he calls them worldly. 
I wonder what you think that phrase means. Worldly. Here's what I think. I think Paul's trying to say to the church, yes, you're saved. Yes, you're part of God's kingdom. Yes, you are being sanctified, but you're also out of step with the Spirit. You're acting like mere humans. You're you're behaving just like everyone else in Corinth. Even though you've got the gift of the Spirit, even though you call on the name of the Lord Jesus, you're living just like your neighbours. And in particular here, we see them quarrelling over their leaders and for forming factions amongst themselves. And I think what Paul's saying is you should know better. By now you should have grown into mature Christians. They should have gone on from milk onto solid food. And it seems what's really bothering Paul here is this division among themselves. Some following Paul and some following Apollos. And Paul's going to go on to show them how foolish that is because people just plant and water and God's the one who really has power and control and influence and so his message is follow God not the leaders as we've been reading these words today I wonder do you kind of see how foolish it is to align yourselves behind leaders when God's the one who does the growing and here at Trinity Church only I've been thinking about this but I wonder I don't think this is necessarily the same challenge for us today I might be wrong, maybe I can't see it, but I've not seen you forming groups within our church. I've not seen some lining up behind Jack Page and some behind Luella and some behind Chris. I've not seen this factionalism in the church here at Unley. Now, of course, we're not immune to these challenges, are they? And perhaps in our modern world, we see it in a slightly different way in our church. We have access, don't we, to some really impressive teachers and preachers of God's word some great waterers and planters who we can listen to online people like John MacArthur or Don Carson or John Piper or William Taylor we have access to these in a way that past generations didn't and I think there is perhaps then a tendency for us to align ourselves behind some of these superstar church leaders is it causing you to quarrel maybe but maybe not. Just because I can't see this sort of behaviour happening in our church today, that that probably doesn't mean that it can't happen or that it won't happen. But but I suggest that we should be reading these words today then as an important warning for us rather than as a necessary corrective. A warning rather than a corrective. I wonder if you think that way about this passage. Before we get too pleased with ourselves about seeing this as a warning rather than a corrective, I want us to pick up on the last bit of this passage. And you look at verse 3 with me again. Paul says this, he says, You are still worldly. For since there's jealousy and quarreling among you, are you not worldly? Are you not acting like mere humans? Here's the bit that cuts for me. Are you not acting like mere humans? Because I think what Paul means here in a way is, are you any different to the world around you? He's calling the Corinthian church here worldly. And my question for us as a church is, are we any different? I don't think we're quarreling over factions or leadership issues within the church. And that's a good thing, but here's the challenge for us. Are we any different 
to the world around us. As the Spirit shaped us so that we look different. Let me ask you, what makes you different as a parent when you drop off your kids at school or you pick them up? Or when you play footy on the weekend, what makes you different to the rest of the people on your team? What makes you different to your classmates at school? I don't just mean here that you know, you'd be different in the sense of dress sense, like maybe you'll be different by putting socks on when you wear your sandals. Not, not that sort of thing, not different in that particular way. But what I mean here is what evidence is there of the Spirit at work in your life? Where's the evidence that you're eating solid food and not milk? Has the Spirit changed the way that you think? How are you going at casting your anxieties onto God? How are you going at being able to see God as a king who reigns supreme in power? And are you able to rest in his grace and in his mercy? Does the spirit affect the way in which you spend money or what you watch on TV or who you spend time with? Does the spirit affect the way in which you see the disadvantage in the world? Does it change the way that you relate to people in your family, your siblings, or your mum and dad, or your spouse? Has the Spirit changed the way that you act as a friend? Or are we still worldly? For the Corinthians, the the issue is factionalism that's on view here. And I want to suggest I've not seen much of that at Unley. In fact, I've seen you really caring for others. I've seen you helping those who are not feeling well. I've seen you encouraging each other by inviting people into community groups. I've seen you concerned with members in your family as they struggle with different issues. I've seen the Spirit at work in you, but it's right, isn't it, to keep craving solid food, to keep asking that we be shaped by the Spirit. Okay, that's point one in your outline if you're following along. Point one kind of uh, looked at. Now we're going to look, move on to... Point two, in verses 5 through to 15, Paul starts to elaborate on Christian leadership. I think Paul here is, well, I think he's talking about leaders like himself and Apollos. And you may be sitting here today not thinking of yourself as a Christian leader, particularly not in the way that Paul and Apollos was. But please don't stop listening because I suspect that even if you're not designated as a small group leader or a church pastor or band leader or something like that, I still suggest that you will have means of influence. People who you can shape and people who are looking up to you. Maybe it's your children or maybe it's classmates or maybe it's the people who work with you. I think these verses do apply to some extent. Now studying leadership and patterns of leadership is all a bit of the rage at the moment, isn't it? We're doing a lot of it as a staff group within the Trinity Network at the moment. Let me ask you, what do you think makes for a good leader? It's one of the questions that uh, the Trinity staff are being asked. Richard Branson says it's vulnerability. A good leader must have vulnerability. Patrick Liencioni says it's humility. Good leaders must have humility. What do you think makes for a good leader? What makes for a good Christian leader? Is there any difference? In verses 5 to 15 of chapter 3 of 1 Corinthians, I think Paul has two things to say about this topic. Firstly, in verses 5 to 9, he wants us to see that Christian leaders are servants. And then in 10 to 15, 
he shows us that Christian leaders will be held to account. So let's start with verses 5 to 9, the idea that Christian leadership is all about service. And we see this particularly in verse 5. Let me read to you what it says. What, after all, is Apollos? And what is Paul? Only servants through whom you came to believe, as the Lord has assigned each his task. I think this is really helpful for us. What is Apollos? And what is Paul? Well, they're only servants. If you have any notion that Christian leadership is about power or prestige or about taking one step closer to God, I want you to see that's not right. Christian leaders here are servants. The word here in the original language, it's not the slave type of servant, but more the, the kind of servant who would wait at tables, a table waiter. And we've all been to restaurants at cafes or something like that, and you've had a waiter serve you. They might turn up at your table, they say something like this, good evening, my name's Carl, tonight I'm going to be your waiter, can I get you started with a drink? Or the specials tonight are pan-seared barramundi or barbecue duck. That's kind of how the waiter behaves, doesn't it? In a restaurant, the pecking order is very clear, isn't it? Those sitting at the table, the paying guests, are being served by the waiting staff. Paying guests are up here, wait staff down here. Paul says Christian leaders are table waiters. And I hope you see this as a kind of breath of fresh air into the leadership space. I mean, of course, I don't expect you to see church leaders physically serving hot dishes of soup and glasses of wine and those sorts of things, but I do want you to think of Christian leadership in the church as about those who serve just like waiters serve guests in a restaurant. And that leaves no room then, does it, for power or prestige or, or privilege now, this is Paul speaking. I wonder if this sounds familiar. Can you think of another example in the Bible where you see Christian leaders serving in this way? I want you to come with me to Luke chapter 22. I want to look at a passage starting from verse 24 of Luke chapter 22. At this point in Luke's gospel, the disciples are with Jesus. They're in the upper room. They just shared the Last Supper and a dispute arises amongst the disciples as to who will be the greatest. Jesus is just about to go to the cross and they start arguing about who will be the greatest. Here's what that says. Uh, Luke chapter 22, verse 24. A dispute arose among them, the disciples that is, as to which of them was considered to be the greatest. Jesus said to them, the kings of the Gentiles lorded over them and those who exercise authority over them call themselves benefactors, but you are not to be like that. Instead, the greatest among you should be like the youngest and the one who rules like the one who serves. For who is greater, the one who is at the table or the one who serves? Is it not the one at the table? But I am among you as the one who serves. Who's greater? Asked Jesus, the one who sits at the table or the one who serves? It's a rhetorical question, isn't it? We all know the answer. We've all been to a restaurant. You've all been served. The one who sits. And that's what Jesus says in the next sentence. But look how verse 27 ends. This is Jesus speaking. But I am among you as the one who serves. 
the supreme Jesus here, the one who helps us to see what God the Father looks like, the one to whom all power and dominion and authority has been given, God's rightful king, the most powerful leader in the world. He says, I am among you as the one who serves. And we see this so clearly in what happens next, don't we, in the Gospels. Jesus leaves the upper room, he heads to Golgotha, and he dies on a cross, a criminal's death in service for his people. Christian leaders, I think, are given their roles in order that they might serve. And so, back to 1 Corinthians, don't put Christian leaders in the place that only God belongs. Don't venerate Christian leaders. They're only human. They're only servants. I want to say this morning also, if you are in a position of leadership for the feeling of power that comes along with it, or the prestige it gives, or the popularity that you might feel that comes with it, or because you think it gets you one step closer to God, I want to suggest that you might need to repent of that. Might need to be time to step down from that role. Because Christian leadership is about service and about serving those around you. In verses 6 to 9, Paul, Paul picks up on the agricultural metaphor that we've been looking at already a few times this morning. Paul plants, Apollos waters, but only God grows. I don't think you have to have too much skill in gardening or farming to understand this metaphor. While planting and watering are necessary, ultimately plants only grow because God makes them do so. Want proof in the pudding? My peace, Lily. No exception to the rule. The right elements can be in place. You can have good soil, enough water, nutrient, and yet it might not grow unless God causes it to grow. God is the critical factor. Not the apostles, not preachers, not evangelists. God. And so important is God in this process. So critical is God in this process that Paul will say in verse 7 that Christian leaders are not anything And I think what he means here is that, comparatively speaking, Christian leaders are nothing when compared to God. I want to pause here for a moment because in this chapter and the next, Paul is really getting stuck into Christian leadership. He's doing that, I think, to to correct something that's happening within the church in Corinth. But I want to suggest we are allowed to value our leaders in some way. We are allowed to have affection for those who have helped us get to know Jesus. We are allowed to love our leaders. I'm so grateful for those who serve our kids, particularly on Friday nights. It's tough on Friday night. Most of our leaders have been at work all week. And I reckon probably most of them just want to sit back and watch the footy on TV or something like that. And yet they're here with our youth, playing games, reading the Bible with them, pointing them to Jesus. And it's right, isn't it, that we should give thanks for those people. Pete and Carrie and Kim and Jack and Chris and Esther and Wayne, they are not nothing. In Galatians chapter 4, Paul speaks of the Galatian church's affection for him as, as the person who planted that church. He says, you would have torn your eyes out and given them to me. Such is their affection for him. But here's the thing, in comparison to God, the source of grace, the spring of knowledge, in comparison to God, our leader's role in the church is like nothing because God alone is the one who does the growing. God alone is the one who reaches out and calls people to himself. God alone is the one who produces faith in a person. 
And so while we can have great affection for our leaders, it would be wrong to elevate them, wouldn't it, and put them on a pedestal. Because our leaders are there to serve and to point us to Jesus. Okay, I think we get the idea. Now let's move on. The second thing which Paul says about Christian leaders is this, part of the way in which God cares for his church is that he holds his leaders to account. The metaphor in this next bit of the passage shifts from gardening to building. Uh, Commentators suggest that probably what Paul had in mind was, was the temple, which had a combination of fine craftsmanship, beautiful buildings and beautiful gardens at the same time. Regardless of what Paul had in mind, really what he wants us to see is that the way in which Christian leaders work will be shown for what it is on the last day. In verse 10 of the passage, if you look down at it, Paul reminds us that it is by the grace of God that he laid a foundation as a wise builder. The foundation is, of course, Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ crucified. That is the foundation upon which Paul builds. As critical as the building process is, Paul wants us to see that he himself is not the foundation. It's not him, but it's Jesus The foundation is not apostles or pastors. No, these people die and move on. Church leaders rise and fall. The only foundation that will support the church is Jesus Christ. Paul lays it, but it's Jesus who is the foundation itself. And others build on that foundation. Today it might be possible, mightn't it, for one person to build a house. I think it would take a long time for a person to do that. But if Paul has the temple in mind, it took many, many years with a workforce of perhaps 10,000 people to build the temple. And Paul knows that others will be involved in the building of the church in Corinth. Others will build upon this foundation. And here's what he says. By the grace God has given me, I laid a foundation as a wise builder and someone else is building on it. But each one should build with care. If you've got any leadership role at the moment, perhaps in your home, in your workplace, here's what Jesus says. Remember, always build on the foundation that is Jesus because no other foundation will stand up. But when you build, do so carefully. Use precious stones. I've been thinking about this image over the last few days. And I've been kind of imagining this in the way that a civil engineer might be tasked with building a bridge. I don't know if you know what civil engineers do. I'm not particularly familiar with it. But I imagine that when they sit down to build a bridge, they consider things like, well, maybe buses are going to drive over this bridge. And probably there'll be school kids on those buses. And maybe even my kids will drive over the bus that I'm... this drive over the bridge that I'm building. If you're a civil engineer and you're responsible for designing and building a bridge, I reckon you'd check your work, wouldn't you? That's building with care. And Paul's encouraging Christian leaders and Christian workers to build with care. And to do so remembering that a day is coming where their work will be shown for what it is. For the civil engineer, if that bridge doesn't collapse when the bus drives over it, that shows they got their calculations right. For the Christian, the day is coming where their work will be shown for what it is. All right, let me summarize. Christian leaders are servants. God is the one who grows. And Christian work will be tested. So build carefully upon the foundation, which is Jesus. 
As we wrap up, let me read the last few verses of this passage to you from verses 18 to 23. Paul says this, Do not deceive yourselves. If any of you think you are wise by the standards of this age, you should become fools so that you may become wise. For the wisdom of this world is foolishness in God's sight. As it is written, he catches the wise in their craftiness. And again, the Lord knows that the thoughts of the wise are futile. So then, no more boasting about human leaders. All things are yours, whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas, or the world or life or death or the present or the future, all are yours. And you are of Christ and Christ is of God. In the last verses of this chapter, you see Paul circling back to this idea of wisdom and folly that we'd already picked up on in earlier uh, sections of this letter. We don't have time to revisit that today. But here I do want you to see Paul's conclusion. So then, no more boasting about human leaders. The truth is, isn't it, that our gracious God has lavished upon us leaders and teachers and others that point us to Jesus. These people have been given to us by a gracious God. But in comparison to our God, they're nothing. These people are not worthy of our worship. God is the one who provides. God is the one who grows. You know, I can try my hardest with the peace lily. I think I might actually give up. But I can try my hardest with it, but God is the only one who makes it grow. And I'm thankful for that. Because this is what we know about our God. Back from chapter 1. Our God is faithful and he's called us into fellowship with his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. I'm going to pray for us. Father, we thank you for Paul's letter to the Corinthian church and for what it uh, teaches us about Christian leaders and how Christian leaders are to lead. Thank you for the, its reminder that you are the one who grows, that you are the one who brings change by your spirit that you are the one who saves. We ask that as a church you'd help us to keep building on the foundation that is Jesus and that as we build we do so carefully and wisely. Amen.